So I'm so grateful to have you in service with us today. I do want to just tag team with the one of the final announcements there was about our prayer service tonight. The time between worship and time and communion is going to be a time of intercession. We won't necessarily be preaching. There'll be exhortation, but there'll be just time of prayer. Just find a place to prayer. Find a place to pray. Come on, somebody. Where's the Where's the best place? How about a house of prayer? Right. Well, it was it was Dr. Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, as well as I believe Dr. Bradfield and Sister Kathy's personal friend Mike Hayes, that asked the church around the United States to pray for. President Trump especially uh, for some of the things that are taking place and then certainly all elected leaders. And certainly a lot, you can see if you follow the news, a lot has been taking place across especially the Southern Bible Belt with uh, states um, limiting and banning abortion. As that happens, you're starting to see a mounting tension begin to rise. And today I'm in calm mode for preaching, but I'm all amp it up next week so I'm gonna be okay today so I'm gonna amp it up for next week and me and Sherry Sherry and I excuse me Sherry and I are going to be going to see our son Anthony graduate from naval officer training on Wednesday Thursday and Friday now we especially made plans to come back on Saturday leaving Rhode Island at 5 a.m. because that Sunday is Father's Day and I just, even though there was a part of me that wanted to stroll along the beach in Newport, Rhode Island, since I've already invested money to get out there, but I wanted to be here with my church family on Father's Day. And so I, I just want you to, to know and recognize that, that there are things that are happening around us. We've got to gear up for some things. But I'm going to reach back and tag team with my message from last week. Last week, if you were not here, I've been, my personal devotions have taken me into the life of Solomon a little bit. My personal devotions of reading his writings and not only reading his writings, but contemplating a little bit about his life. And I preached last week from his writings out of the book of Proverbs, get up and take control of your life. Does anybody remember that message? If you don't, I think it'll be on the podcast this week now that our own Dwayne and Lori are back in town. And you'll have a chance to listen to it. Well, I'm going to tag team with it just a little bit. I made the infamous statement. I'm not trying to be critical in any capacity because as I was speaking, it was almost like I was borrowing from the title of Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. And I said, I kind of doubt if some of the things that I'm going to say here today will be echoed from the pulpit uh, there at Oasis Church. However, so let me say, I'm not trying to be critical, but there's an edge to it. I, I, I sometimes, you want an edge as a preacher. I'm not here to pacify you. I'm here to challenge you by the word of God. But doing so, I do believe that God wants his people, desires his people to live a blessed, prosperous life. I do believe that. I read from 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. Now recognize that there are times and there are sometimes people that are caught in very, very difficult situations. Today, there are Christians being persecuted for their faith, even to the point of being martyred. We're seeing it mount. The Islamic extremism still, still targets the Christian community. And so I know there are some very extreme localities where someone is really in just a survival mode. Let's just be honest. But not everybody's there, right? There's mounting persecution in America, but you don't necessarily 
have to dodge, I'm going to say this very respectfully, dodge bullets to come to church on a Sunday morning. Correct? So there's a, a moment in your life when you can say, God, I want to live my life for the glory of God. I want to walk in that prosperity that you promised in the proper connotation and application of it. Correct? And there's a lot of things in the Word of God that teaches us to believe for the kind of life that brings God glory and that can affect someone else. Everybody is pulled down by some people. There's some people whose countenance is so fallen to be around them will literally take every bit of energy away from you. I'm going to challenge you. If you're that person here today, I'm going to challenge you because that's not God's will for your life. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again. Even before I start, God wants you to live life with a smile. He does. And so I want to ask you to stand up with me. We're going to read, Shane, in honor of T.D. Jakes. I'm going to read from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, you don't understand that, but he understands it. <laughs> Actually, in chapter number 9. But we're not going to read from the verse that he and I are kind of connected to here as we listen to it driving down the Kansas Highway. We're going to read from verse number 7 through verse number 10. And then we're going to read from chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Now, as I say this, let me put this in its proper context. This is not an encouraging moment of the seventh verse for you to go out and start drinking. Some of you have already begun to see that up there. You're like, I've been waiting for this sermon my whole life. So, let's put it in its proper context. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy. And drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Tenth verse, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor wisdom, or excuse me, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Now chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. I love this last six or so verses of scripture here. Moreover, because the preacher was wise. I didn't say that. But you thought it, didn't you? Yeah. I didn't say it. You thought it. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these my son be admonished, of making many books there is no end. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So I titled a message today, and I think there's some things that's going to stir your spirit as we look at this. It's very pastoral, 
It's very practical. But you know what? We need every now and then just a little charge of practical living. It's titled today, Solomon's Secrets to a Happy Life. Solomon's Secrets to a Happy Life. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I'm grateful to be in this house with your people. Oh, what a charge I get from their faith and from their countenances and their love for each other and especially their love for you. Father, if I'm not careful, that becomes addictive. It becomes addictive, Father, to be around people, God, whose uh, faith is such a stimulus for my own. And now, God, I pray, Lord, that whatever gifting and equipping that you have placed in my heart and life, whatever ability that I can, Father God, uh, exercise or exhibit here to the church family, I pray, Lord, in ministering the gift that you have given me, that people would receive the word of God. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. And you can be seated. Thank you for honoring the Lord. I want to take just a moment once again to talk about this particular two-part, not necessary series, but just a connecting point here from Solomon's writings, just from my own personal devotions. I've shared with you many times as pastors, we attempt to lay our head like John the Beloved on the, 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 the King James English, the bosom of Jesus, to hear his heartbeat, because we want to share with you what is the will of God for this church family, for your life, something that you can get, something that you can walk out of this room with, and you can say, that pastor spoke to me. The Spirit of God and the anointing of God that was present in that house was not just for everybody, but it was for me included in that congregation. And I want you to be that way. I want you to receive something. I want to take a moment of time to develop this. There's a distinction between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes for just a moment. We can note that they were perhaps penned or at least uttered by Solomon. But I want to give you just a little bit of a distinction if I can. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaks of the wisdom and the understanding that God has supernaturally given him. If you're familiar with the life of Solomon, you'll, rec- you'll recognize him as the son of David and uh, Bathsheba after the, uh, the error and the transgression of adultery that uh, led to David taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be his wife, Bathsheba, and the first child was lost and uh, became deceased. But the second child, the Bible says, God loved. Matter of fact, they called him Jedidiah, whom the Lord loveth. Solomon also is his name. And so he becomes the heir to the throne. When he takes the throne, he, is, uh, he feels ill-equipped to lead such a mighty nation that's had the hand of God upon it. And Solomon goes somewhere uh, near Gibeon to pray a prayer. The altar's at Gibeon, and he prays a prayer to God, and he doesn't pray for gold or wealth or resources. He doesn't pray for land or men servants or maid servants. He prays for wisdom. He asks, he said, the people are great, and they need somebody to lead them with the, with, the, with the wisdom of God. And God hears his prayer, and God comes down and speaks to him. And God says, because you have asked that kind of prayer with such a sincerity of heart, and not only am I going to give you the wisdom that you've asked for, I'm going to also give you gold and silver that's going to excel any king that's going to live in your era. And if you follow the life of Solomon, you'll see exactly that. He received supernatural wisdom from God. Now, every man can pursue wisdom. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Solomon received a divine revelation, an unveiling of the supernatural wisdom of God. He spoke over 3,000 Proverbs. I think we'll read that perhaps here in just a moment. As we read this, we we see this captured in the book of Proverbs. But then when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, you see that Proverbs are the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes is almost his diary. 
It's like his personal journey. It's like he's contemplating and processing some things along the way. And the Proverbs are still hidden in Ecclesiastes, but also his personal struggle becomes very real to us. Anybody that's ever read from the book of Ecclesiastes sees Solomon's own personal compilations and meditations where he's pondering his life and the things that he has uh, been shown. And so we see this as we read the Word of God and, we, and we, we contemplate this. Solomon is fearful of something. So as we look at his life and we seek to learn about some of the things that he gives us as little hints and components to happiness, uh, I want you to know there is something that Solomon is struggling with. And it's all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. There's something that as he reflects, I don't know when he wrote this particular book, but as he has grown and matured in his faith, he's at this place where he's just unsettled. He's the king. His land is prosperous. His kingdom has expanded. God's added wealth beyond measure. It's even hard for us to even contemplate the amount of wealth that God has brought to Solomon. But he is deeply frustrated by something. You know what he's deeply frustrated by? He's deeply frustrated by something that he said himself in the ninth chapter and also in the second chapter. But he said, this comes to everybody, whether you are rich or poor, whether you're black or white. He said, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, whether you're clean or unclean, whether you're religious, he used the term whether you sacrifice or whether you choose not to sacrifice and you don't participate in any religious activity whatsoever, every man's going to face death. And he's bothered by this. He's bothered by it, and we see this all throughout. As a matter of fact, he's so bothered by it. In the second chapter, here's what he said about his own life. He said, as a result of this, he said, I hated life. Here I am preaching to you about Solomon's secrets to a happy life, and he's frustrated to the degree that he says, I literally, for a period of time in my life, I hated life because of the uncertainty of death. That was weighing on him. If you read about it in Scripture, in the second chapter, the fourth through the eighth verse, he said things like this. Every building that he's builded, every garden that he's planted, every ornament that he has had carved, every piece of art, every statue, someone else will enjoy it. Think about that. With all the wisdom that God gave Solomon, the true hope of eternal life has been veiled from him. Did you think about that for just a moment? He views death as the end. Solomon even compares the death of a human with that of an animal. In the third chapter, the 19th and the 20th verse, he compared the death of the beast of the field, or shame, the fowl of the air, with that of a human, saying that we all go back to the dust of the earth again. This death is a place of darkness. All human emotions, love, joy, peace are lost in the grave to Solomon. All resources are turned over to another. Thus, Solomon concludes, all life is vanity, it's fleeting. And so with all the wisdom that God gave Solomon, in God's sovereignty, he chose to veil the reality of eternal life. Let's read in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34. I'd like to read for just a moment. I think they'll post that one on the screen as well. I want you to just see a little picture concerning the things that God did for Solomon. The 29th verse, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that's on the seashore. Think about that. God, his mind was brilliant. He, was, uh, uh, he would have been a, a, 
a genius and a genius of, at multiple levels. Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East country and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman the, and Calcol and Darda. And I know you're thinking, man, can he do this right? You don't know whether I've got it right or not. The sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. Look what he did. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his, song, his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar tree that's in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom in Solomon from all kings of the earth, which, would heard, which had heard of the wisdom of Solomon. And so God has opened to him knowledge and understanding at a level that no man attained to in his generation. If Solomon lived in our generation, entire libraries would be written about his mental prowess and his ability to contemplate things that affect the human being and the human person. But there's one thing that God kept the, the curtain down and didn't give him a glimpse into, and that was eternity. And so we could jump forward many hundreds of years later where he's referenced in the New Testament by a man by the name of Jesus. And Jesus said this about Solomon. He said, the queen of the south is going to rise in judgment with this generation. Who is that? If we were to read later in 1 Kings chapter number 10, the Bible says that the queen of Sheba came from the south country, from Ethiopia, because of the wisdom that Solomon possessed, to see all the glory and to hear the Proverbs and the understanding. She stood in awe. And Jesus said, the queen of the south is going to rise in this judgment with this generation, and she's going to condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. To hear that profound wisdom that only God can give. But Jesus went one further and he said, and behold. Remember what it said? We just read it in 1 Kings chapter number 4. It says, Solomon was wiser than all men. So every living man that was upon the face of the earth at the time of Solomon, the Bible says Solomon's wisdom exceeded them all. But Jesus said that the queen of the south came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold. A greater than Solomon is now here. And you say, what gives him the capacity to be able to make such a bold and provocative statement? Because the veil that had prevented Solomon from looking into eternity, Jesus had descended from eternity to not only lift the veil, but to tell us about eternal life with his Father. Come on, somebody. No wonder he's called a greater than Solomon. And so, John chapter 7, verse number 46, here's what somebody said about Jesus. Never a man spake like this man. Solomon was a king wiser than all the kings in his generation, but Jesus was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Solomon knew that man came from the dust and one day would return to the dust, but Jesus came from heaven and one day he returned to heaven. And guess what? One day he's coming back from heaven. He's the resurrection and the life. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, arrived at the place where he hated life because of this principle right here. He had no hope of eternal life. But you know what I've got residing on the inside of me today? Because of a man called Jesus. I'm standing in front of you, teaching you the secrets of a happy life according to Solomon because Jesus Christ revealed to me the power of eternal life. Man, that's good preaching right there. Thank God for eternal life. Thank God for the celebration of it. Solomon called God creator. 
Jesus called God Father. Jesus himself said, no man has ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I tell you that many kings, prophets, and righteous men have longed to hear the things that you hear and to see the things that you see, and it was veiled from them. Listen, church family, you and I are a special dispensation and a special generation. We have now dwelling inside of us the earnest of our inheritance. I want you to know today that if you have faith in God through Christ, that if you were to depart this life before that we can even have our communion service this afternoon, you will instantly be in the presence of Almighty God and to be absent with the Lord. Come on, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Thank God today. So I wrote it this way. You and I can still gain and glean from and use the practical wisdom that God gave Solomon. But the hope and the promise of eternal life gives me a grace that Solomon did not possess. And so the first secret to a happy life is to receive the promise of eternal life. Why is it so quiet in here? Why would that not be a spark inside of you to think about the futility and the frailness of life and how fickle life can be and how you can be here today and gone tomorrow and how preachers stand in front of you and we speak this with a true heart, no man's promise tomorrow, but what we are is promised eternal life through Christ Jesus and so let me say this, the joy and the peace that I've gained from knowing that death is not the end, the revelation that Solomon did not possess, rather it's the doorway to God's glory, it's the stimulus of my faith. Let every other truth, let every other proverb, let every other precept, let it rest upon that foundation. If wisdom, if wisdom is revealing the truth of God, and if wisdom dwelt with God in the beginning, and if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the understanding that God has now given us concerning eternal life is the greatest of all wisdom. Did y'all hear that, church family? And that should be the stimulus. That's how we can, Apostle Paul would write in chapter number 8 of Romans when he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things yet to come, shall be able to separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's how we as children of God can go to the same graveyard where Solomon would wrench his own hands in agony when he buried his loved ones because he believed that death was the end. But you and I can go and sing happy songs about a day of resurrection and a returning king when he said his voice will call all men out of the grave. Glory to God. Paul would write the Solomon of his generation, and he would say, I want you to comfort one another with these words. Thank God today for the hope of eternal life. Man, that ought to put a smile on our faces today. I know you can do everything that you can to fight, fight aging. I do. I don't know what that is, <laughs> other than a little bit of just for men on the beard. Apart from that, I don't know what that means. But I don't care how hard you try to fight it, we're all subjected to it. There will come a day. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying to be fearful. I'm not trying to cause you to hide. No, I'm actually trying to bring you to the reality. Solomon possessed the reality of his own mortality. And it left him declaring all of life vanity because veiled from him was the hope of eternal life. 
But a man called Jesus went into the earth. Come on, somebody. He was buried. He went into the lower parts of the earth. On the third day, he was resurrected. And the writer John said, in his hands, he's got the keys to death and of the grave. Glory to God. And because of him, I have a hope that Solomon did not possess. And you have that hope if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, that causes me to live a happy life. That causes me to get up in the morning and say, thank God for the grace. Number two, you've got to choose to be happy. Hmm. Because it's your portion. What does that mean? It's your portion. Did you know part of the text that we read? Solomon said, eat your... No, y'all were focused on drinking that wine. Solomon said, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. He said, and, and he said, live happy with your, with your wife. We're going to get to that in a moment because he said this. He said, this is thy portion. Let your garment be white and let your head lack no anointment or ointment. I want to say this to you today. I believe we should rule over our emotions. We are people of faith. Our emotions should not dictate and dominate and determine our destiny. My faith is going to agitate and overpower my emotions. I will not allow sorrow of heart to determine my destiny nor dictate my countenance. I'm going to choose to live happy. I'm going to choose to be contented by the grace of God. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to choose to be positive. I'm going to choose to be upbeat. I'm going to choose to live life with a smile on my face. You know, when I read the Word of God and I hear the, 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 the writer say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I hear and read about things of that nature, th let me tell you, they weren't living in a time without Christian persecution. They were living in a time of great persecution and oppression upon the church. But the old song said this, the joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world cannot take it away. You've got to choose to be happy. The world is waiting to see a bunch of men and women walk out of this building, not with our hands hanging at our side and our faces disfigured because of all this, uh, the things that are happening around us, but that we lift our heads up and we've got the countenance of God shining upon us and we've got joy in our heart because we've chosen to walk in the blessing of God. Did you know when I studied the word happy in the original language, it's actually translated blessed? It's the same way. To be happy is to be blessed. To be blessed is to be happy. People need my joy to be contagious. God is sovereign. He rules and reigns among the kingdoms of men. Here's something I'm going to put down for you today. I will not let the political upheaval nor the cultural demise rob me of the simple joy and happiness that is my portion. The word portion means it's my inheritance. It belongs to me. You can live in darkness if you choose to. You can allow all the darkness around us to cause you to lose your joy and your perspective of walking in the grace and the goodness and the love of God. But as for me, I want to be a bright and a shining light. I want to allow His joy to ref be reflected in my own heart and life. And I believe that I can choose it. I know there's a difference. Some of you that are very theological saying, Pastor, joy and happiness are two different things. I understand that entirely, but I'm going to choose to be happy. And it's got nothing to do with my circumstances. You can be happy in a cave. You can if you know what God's done for you through Christ Jesus. Number three, the text said, celebrate your family. 
Can I just put that up there for you? Celebrate your family. And I know that this is a difficult thing for someone because at times there's conflict in your family. Hello? Oh, yeah, everybody looked real spiritual at that moment. No, there's conflict in every family at times. And sometimes a family member that you know and love and you're very intimate with can walk away from you. And I understand that it can be very, very painful. But I wrote it this way. Whoever or whatever your family looks like, whoever they are, then you need to celebrate your family. That's one of the small graces that we have in life. Come on, church family. Say, I don't have a family to celebrate. Well, look around. Yes, you do. You got a family to celebrate with all around you today, right? They need your love. They need your affection. They need your compassion. They need the warmth of your touch, and they need the enlightenment of your smile. Every Sunday and through the week and phone calls and encouragements, celebrate your family. I want to say this to every one of you here that has a family and dwelling all under the same roof. Listen, don't allow your home to become contentious. If you read the writings of Proverbs, Proverbs said, I'd rather go live than in the house where it's contentious, right? You're not going to live happy and contentious at the same time. you got to choose what it's going to be like in your home, right? you got to rise up in prayer and say, we're not going to allow drama, teenage drama. Come on, I'll tell you what, the Brown family put it to death. We waged our warfare. Man, we were like David. We drew swords on it, glory to God. We were going to suppress it because it didn't have any place in our home. And you got to do that. You got to become assertive and aggressive, and you got to bind the devil in the name of Jesus. You got to pull down strongholds. You got to walk through your house at night and bind the enemy and plead the blood and call for the favor of God. And you got to determine if you're married, husbands and wives, you're going to value one another, you're going to love one another. Yes, Joe, we're going to be considerate to one another, right? That's our new word that we're speaking here at our church. We're going to be considerate of one another. And when you do that, that's a home where the blessing of God is and the favor of God and the kindness of God. Spouses show each other love and respect. Children honor your parents. Well, 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 well. Not even a half-hearted amen from an ISM student anywhere into the building. I'll let JoJo deal with you on the church van. Isn't that right, Joe? Joe, just get them rocking back there just a little bit right there. May your home, your family, a place of joy, peace, and be a place of peace and celebration. Protect it, guard it, celebrate it. Come on, that's how you live a happy life. You ain't got to have a lot of resources, right? Your children ain't always got to have Nike shoes. I believe in Nike shoes. But I told this story once before. I was in a tournament years ago, and I was guarding a, a, a man that dropped 46 points on us that night when he was wearing a pair of Converse canvas shoes that we paid $10 for at Walmart. Hello? You got to teach your children. And we were double teaming him. Don't get me started. Listen, teach your children. It ain't about all that. It's about all of us gathered together just living life with a smile, celebrating the little things and the blessings of God. Number four, work hard in all that you do. Work hard in all that you do. I preached last week from Proverbs chapter 24 about a slothful man and how his laziness leads to his poverty, right? And you got to guard yourself from that. I want to challenge every one of us today. Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The best sleep that you will have all week is the day that you work the hardest. You'll go to bed at night in a peaceful sleep thanking God for the good things of God in your life. 
on the job, at home, in the home, outside the home. Take pride in your life, in your work ethic. Strive to do well. Don't just get by. Don't be the employee who just is in pursuit of a paycheck, who's not considerate of his fellow employees or his employers. Don't be the employee that won't go the next mile, that won't do the next thing. Be the employee that says, you know what, I want to honor my employer. Right? I'm telling you, that's how you live a happy life. That's how, because I'm telling you, when you go to work, when you go to work, there's going to be somebody whose countenance is fallen. And they're going to they're see you. And if all you do is have a church smile on, and you don't have a work ethic, you may put the bumper sticker on the back of your car, join me at First Assembly, but they don't want to drive to First Assembly and see you lazy, slothful, fake, hypocritical believer who's saying one thing and doing another. But if you've got a work ethic that honors God and a smile on your face, then you're leaving a lasting impact in their heart and their life. The Scripture said here, there's nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. He said, this I saw it, and it was from the hand of God. Man, that's a powerful verse. You say, Pastor Brown, I don't like what I do for a living. <laughs> Two things. Change it. Get a different job. Get a different occupation. Quit waiting on somebody to do it for you. Nobody's going to come take you out of your occupation. and put. You've got to say, well, if I want this career, then go for it. Dream, believe, trust God. You're here, you want to go there. Then develop a map and develop a plan and begin to pursue after God. But let me say this to you real quickly. But you better change yourself first. Because if you don't change yourself first, you're going to bring the same woe, the same misery, and the same jealousy to your new job. Hard work will pay off. And there's a, a reward in hard work. And it causes you to live a happy life. Number five, never stop learning and never stop growing. Never stop learning. Now, I know at the end, Solomon said, the study and the reading of books, there is no end. And there's a weariness, and I understand that. But I want to say this about my own personal growth. There isn't a single place in my life where I cannot learn more. And there's a happiness with that. Isn't there? I can learn, and I can just get, you know, me and Sherry have been married 33 years. 33 years, I'll make sure. 33. You know what? I can still learn about her. I can still learn about being a godly father and a godly husband. I've been pastoring now for 20-something years, and I can continue to learn to relate to the people of God and to bless the people of God. There's no area of your life that you reach a certain plateau, and there's nothing more that you can learn about it. You can forever be learning about every situation and season in your life. I wrote it this way. I want to grow in my knowledge of God. I want to grow in my knowledge of His Word. How many here knows everything about the Word of God? Go ahead and raise your hand up. How many here says, I know everything there is to know about God? You know, I'm just waiting for Him to come back so I can tell Him more about Himself than He already knows. <laughs> Nobody. Every one of us should live life because there is a blessedness. If happy means blessed, there's a blessedness in continually growing in the knowledge of God, isn't there? It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful prayer. A principle. Proverbs said this, apply thy heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. And it said again in Proverbs 24 and 5, a wise man is strong, a man of knowledge increases strength. 
so you can live a happy life as you grow. So, Pastor, we can't get married. I wish we could go here, go there. I tell you what, today's generation, the Internet, has a lot of knowledge that's available at your fingertips. And I know there's a lot of negative, bad, evil things, but there's a lot of things that you... I feel like I can do anything with YouTube and a little bit of time. You could ask me to build an atom bomb, and I, I might get it there. It might take a long time, but I feel like I could figure it out. Hello, are you understanding the principle? Number six, I'm getting ready to close. There's only seven. Pursue wisdom. I thank God for that. Pursue wisdom. Solomon said, in all you're getting, get understanding. Listen, pursue wisdom, but not just the wisdom in general, but the wisdom of God. How many know there's a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world? Paul said that the wisdom of this world is, excuse me, James said the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, devilish. Paul said this, man by wisdom knew not God, but we pursue after the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. I thank God that there's not a situation in my life that I can't navigate through as long as I have God leading me by his supernatural wisdom. Let me take him, let's getting, we're getting ready to close. There's only seven, it will be the shortest one. But in doing so, I want to read with you Proverbs chapter number eight. In several verses, not the entirety of the chapter, but I want you to read it with me. It's just exciting to read it. Are y'all with me? And I said, it says 12 to 36. He said, oh, you're starting to count. How long is it going to take him to do? I'm trying to get out of here. Listen, look at this. Read it with me. I wisdom. Just read it. Let's talk about the wisdom of God. We're talking about the gift that God gave Solomon. We're trying to live a happy life through the revelation of, of principles that God gave Solomon. And he, Solomon talks to us about his own experience in receiving the wisdom of God. And he talks about wisdom. And he even talks about it in a first-person account almost as, it, as being a living individual. He said, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound strength. I am understanding and I have strength. If you want to be strong in the Lord, you need his wisdom. Come on, somebody. Look at this, by me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. When's the last time you asked God for his wisdom? When's the last time you walked in your prayer climb and you said, God, I can't live another day in the wisdom of men. I've got to live in the wisdom of God. I've got to have it. I can't be the father. I can't be the mother. I can't be the husband. I can't be the wife. I can't be the employer. I can't be the employee without the wisdom of God. I can't do this task that's in front of me without the wisdom of God. I can't rear children. I can't adopt children, foster children without the wisdom of God. I've got to have it. It's my navigational tool to help me find my way through a field full of icebergs. By me, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early are going to find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. 
I mean, what a powerful principle God is making to you and your family if you pursue the wisdom of God. The Lord, look at this. Oh, this is Shatakamosia stuff right here. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. Look at this. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. Before God spoke into the darkness and called the earth and the worlds and the galaxies and the universe into existence, before there ever was anything, God said, I possess wisdom. I was there. He said, when there was no fountain abounding with water, before the mountains were settled and the hills were I, was I brought forth. He said, while as yet he had not made the earth nor the field nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. Come on, you believe in a pre-Adamic race, you believe in this thing of the past and all these. Listen, I don't care about when it was all before anything came. Before an angel came out of the heart and mind of God, before there was a cherubim, a seraphim, before there was a Gabriel and a Michael, there was wisdom at the right hand of God. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, when then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth. And my delights was with the sons of men. God's wisdom delights in you if you'll pursue him. Now, therefore, listen, hearken unto me, O ye children. For blessed, there's that word blessed, for happy. Did you hear that? For happy, for happy are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Whosoever findeth me findeth life and shall obtain the favor of the Lord. Come on, somebody. And everybody said amen. That's your journey. Nobody can run it for you. It's your race. You've got to pursue it on your own. I can't give you what I gain. I can share a little bit of things that God puts in my heart with you, but you've got to run your own race in pursuit after the wisdom of God. What a powerful thing and what a blessed, contented people that we would have in the church if we all pursued the wisdom of God. Say, God, I've got to have it. Like my next breath, I can't live without it. Lastly today, in closing this message, it's very pastoral. Hello? It's very practical. How many of you want to live a happy and a blessed life? If you don't, something's wrong with you. What do you want to live? A contentious, strife-filled life of hatefulness and fighting and backbiting and sorrowful and poverty and shame? Is that what you want to live? I don't. I want to live a life of blessing, happiness, favor, the grace of God. Contented. Contented. No matter what I've got, I love what Paul said. See, our happiness is not dependent upon our wealth. Did y'all hear, can I say that? It's not in the notes, but I want to say that today. Your happiness is not dependent upon the size of the car you drive, the age of the car you drive, the type of house that you live in. Does it make any difference? Paid for, mortgage, does it make any difference? Contentedness, your peace, your blessedness resides in your choosing that happiness is your portion. Choose it. Believe God, and you'll get up every day with a smile on your face. Lastly, in this passage, 
Solomon said, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the end. Fear God, keep his commandments. Fear God, reverence him and honor him and do everything that you can to follow the revelation of his will for your life by obeying his word. Does that make sense? See, because you'll never have peace, blessedness, happiness if you're confessing that you believe in God, professing that you know the Lord while you live a life. Come on, right? That's not adhering to the truths that he's revealed in his word for your life. I remember what John the Beloved said in chapter number 5. He said, we love his commandments because his commandments are not grievous. Joy. There's a joy in serving God, isn't there? There's a joy. I'm not trying to make us to try to be spiritual elite while we look down on other people. This is not creating a resurrection, a pharisaical mindset. This is simply saying to have peace in my heart, to have joy in my heart, to have the happiness that I believe God has for me, then I bend my will every day to his will in my pursuit of him. I fear God and I keep his commandments. Church families, I close this message today. Solomon reached a very difficult place in his life where God has blessed him with so much resources, but not only resources stimulated from the wisdom that God gave him, but God in his sovereignty veiled the reality of eternal life. And his journey is exposed to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. But he still makes the proper conclusion. Here's the conclusion, he said, of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. Honor the Lord. There's a blessedness that God's got for you. Do you believe that today? Let me reach back to last week and let's pull these two messages together. Then you got to get up and take control of your own life. you got, you got to choose to be happy. Did y'all hear me? Listen, it's not a feel-good message. This is a live well message. Come on. Because God wants your life to be a reflection of his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his peace. He's going to send you out into a lost and dying world to be a bride and a shining light. And if your life is in forever turmoil and contention and strife, how in any way possible can that be used as a tool to affect somebody for the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. I want my life to be a blessing to others, don't you? I want to ask you to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment of time today. You want to be up? We'll be okay. I want to ask you today. I'm going to close and I want to pray for a group prayer at the front. It's prayer time tonight. That's all good. But this is a moment to respond. This is a moment to respond. I wrote the message titled this way. It's very pastoral. I can't apologize for that. I don't want to. You need it. Solomon's secrets to a happy life, to a blessed life. I could have given you 70 times 7 rather than just seven small principles to just cast a light to you that God wants your life to be blessed, but you have to believe it. Did you hear me, church family? You have to believe it. Solomon said it's your portion. It's your portion. It's your portion that your head would have an anointment or an ointment upon it and that your garments would be always white and radiating. 
that you could live in your home and with your family at peace and not in strife. That's the will of God for your life. But you've got to do your part. You've got to believe it and choose it. Starts, it starts with the revelation of eternal life. I want to ask you a question here today. Our heads are bowed, no one's looking around. Do you have the peace of eternal life dwelling inside you? Does it give you joy that's beyond all understanding? To simply know that you have eternal life with Christ. That death is not the end. Death is just the doorway into the blessing of God. If you don't have that, you can have it today. I'm giving a twofold invitation. If that's you, have the courage to slip your hand up. I want to make contact with you today. By saying, Pastor, I don't have that, but if you'll pray with me today. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. It all is bound to the person of Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today? It's very somber in here today. It was somber from the moment we walked in. Is that you today? I'm looking. I'm waiting. Church is praying. Aren't you praying, Christians? Aren't you praying today? Number two. Number two. Who's here today? And say, Pastor, this message was for me. There's a, oftentimes a lot of downcast and disheartening things that I allow to just weigh on me and I lose my joy, I lose my smile. I don't, I don't let happiness be my portion. And I want to change that. I want to change it. And I want to take it. If portion means my inheritance, then I've got to possess it. Pastor, would you pray with me today? Raise your hand up, church, and I want to see who that might be today. I see some hands going all Thank y'all, thank y'all. Would you all stand up with me today, here today? Can we pray a very special prayer, church family? Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for one another. Can we do that in closing? Would y'all do that with me today? Do you believe in prayer? God's house has been a beautiful spirit of prayer here today. There's already been a spirit of intercession in this house. Church family, at least 20 people raised their hands. Did you hear that? And I would dare say if more were being honest or like gained the courage, they just couldn't get the courage to raise their hand up, but in their heart they said, that's me. I want to live a blessed and prosperous life for the glory of God. Take control of your life. Take control of it. Don't allow emotions to dictate your happiness. Let your faith grasp your happiness as your portion. Let's pray for one another right now. Father, I don't want to do anything in any capacity that would be deemed embarrassing to someone. Even though, Father, I know there are times when we need to bring people to the front so that the church family can rally around to them. But in this moment, God, I feel that it would be the wrong thing to do. But when the people raise their hand, God, that the men and women, I know many of them very deeply and personally. And I've seen the good and I've seen the bad. I've seen the ups, and I've seen the downs. But they responded not to pressure or coercion or false truth or, or, or harass. They responded to the truth of the Word of God, that it is our portion to live a peaceful, quiet life, celebrating the love and the blessing of God. And they looked at their own life, 
and they inventoried it pre, uh, very quickly and briefly for they only had but a few minutes and they said within themselves, I'm not walking in the fullness of that blessing that the man of God spoke about today. And I want it for it is my portion. So church family today, there are 20 plus people that raised their hand and we're going to pray right now. We're praying for them, for every person, every man, every woman, every young adult, God, that had the courage to raise their hand, that said, I want my life to have the blessing of God upon it. I want to live a, a, a prosperous and a blessed life. I want to have joy, a smile. Come on, somebody. I want to have peace in my home. I want to have grace and goodness and the love of God. I want other people to be drawn to me because my, my joy is contagious and they want what I've got. God put it in me and put it on me. Let my garment always be white. Pray that with me right now. God, let their garments always be white and let their head lack no ointment. Let their countenances reflect the love of God. Let depression be pulled down. Come on, somebody. I feel the Lord right there. Oh, I feel Jesus in Jesus' name. Let oppression be pulled down. Let contention and strife between spouses, Father God, be mediated in love and grace. Let tensions between fathers and mothers and children, God, be mediated, Father, in love and grace. That's our prayer today. Let our homes have love and peace. So when we go home at night, God, we will pillow our head in a quiet contentedness that God's grace is not only upon me, but it's upon my house, it's upon my household, it's upon my children, it's upon my children's children. God, we thank you for the man of God, Solomon, who spoke to us secrets to a blessed or happy life. And he said, listen, church family, listen, I'm going to let you out here on this. He said, it is your portion. It's your portion. It's your inheritance. Read that. Study that word out. The word portion means inheritance. It belongs to you. You've got to take it. You've got to believe for it by faith and say, God, I'm not going to live the way I've lived. Things are going to change. Little by little, day by day, changes are coming. I'm going to live the rest of my days with a smile on my face, thanking God for his great grace. Lord, I love you. Bless the people today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you all.